My Favorite Theorem, a math podcast, and so much more. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Knudsen. I'm professor of mathematics at the University of Florida, and here is your other host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance writer, uh, usually based in Salt Lake City, but currently coming to you from Providence, Rhode Island. Hooray. Yeah. Uh, you're an ICER. So. Yes, the Institute for Computational and Experimental Research in Mathematics, an acronym that I am now good at remembering. I'm glad you told me. I was trying to remember what it stood for this morning because I'm going next week. We'll be in the same place uh, for like only the second time ever. And yeah. the universe didn't implode the first time, so I think we're safe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's, the ISERM thing is it's visualizing mathematics. I mean, we're sort of doing like, yeah. and, and next week is about geometry and topology, which since both of us are nominally that, that's... Uh, seems like the right place for us to be. Yeah, um, it's it's going to be a fun semester. Yeah. I'm also very excited because I recently turned in, it feels weird to call it a manuscript, but it is being published by a place that publishes books. Mm -hmm. um, it is the uh, final draft of a page-a-day calendar about math, and I hope right. that by the time we uh, air this, uh -huh. I will be able to have a link where people can purchase this and give it to, well, give it to themselves or sure. to their favorite mathematician. Yeah. Um, so that's just every day you can have a little morsel of math to start your morning. I'm looking forward to that. That's really exciting. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's great. All right, so we're continuing a tradition in this episode. So um, yes. Uh, Christian uh, Lawson Perfect organizes this thing through the A Periodical called the, uh, the, the Great Internet Math-Off, of which you were a participant in the first one, but not this time. Yes. Not, not mm -hmm. the second go-around. And we had the first winner on. Who, the, the winner gets named the world's most interesting mathematician among those people who Christian could round up and who were free in July. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, um, and so we wanted to keep this trend going of getting the most interesting mathematicians in the world on this podcast. And so yeah. we are pleased to welcome uh, this year's winner, Sophie Carr. Sophie, you want to introduce yourself, please? Oh, hello. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I'm Dr. Sophie Carr. I studied Bayesian networks at university, and now I own and run a data analytics company. Yeah, and you're the most interesting mathematician. <laughs> I am. For this year, I am the most interesting mathematician in the world, <laughs> and it's um, entirely Naira's fault that I entered because he suggested and put me forward. That's right. Naira Chamberlain was last year's winner. And, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so when we interviewed him, he was sitting in his attic wearing uh, a winter coat. It was winter time, and um, yeah. And and he, it, it seemed very cold where he was. You look very comfortable. It looks like you have a very lovely yes. home there in the background. Uh, <laughs> I am. I am in two jumpers. It's autumn has definitely arrived. The summer has gone, and it is a little chilly at the moment. Oh, I can only dare to dream. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Florida and, and UK have slightly different seasons. Just a little bit, yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you own a consulting company, that's correct? Yeah, I do. I set it up um, 10 years ago now. Mm -hmm. And there's me and two other people who work with me. And we just have an awful lot of fun finding patterns in numbers. And, and I, I still find it amazing that we're still going. It's, it's just the best fun ever. We get to go and work on all sorts of different problems with all, for all sorts of different people. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm glad companies are starting to come around to the idea that mathematicians might actually have something to tell them, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah it really is. And when you explain to them that you're not going to do magic and it's not a black box and you can tell them how it works and how it can really make a difference, people mm -hmm. are coming around to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right, so we're here to talk about theorems. Yeah, what yes. is your favorite theorem? 
my favourite theorem in the whole world is Bayes' theorem. Yay, really I'm is. so, so glad that someone will be talking about this because I know that this is a great theorem and mm -hmm. confession, I just, I don't appreciate it that much. I don't, yes. yeah, I, I need to be told why it's great. Yeah, I, I taught probability one time and I said, okay, here's Bayes' theorem. And I kind of went, all right, yeah. <laughs> uh, fine. You know, but of course the question is, what's the prior, Mr. Bates? Uh, so tell us. <laughs> Tell us, yeah, please. Yeah, preach. Yeah. <laughs> preach for, preach for Reverend Bayes. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I don't think there's any any preaching needed because I always say this. this I mean, the big two bits of statistics is the frequentist and there's a Bayesian. And I always liken it to rugby union um, and rugby league, which are two types of, of rugby in England. It's different codes, but it's the same thing. So to me, Bayes' theorem is just the way that we naturally think. Mm. And it's beautifully simple and all it does is let you take everything that you know and every piece of information that you have and use that to update the overall outcome and you're right that the really big arguments come about from what the prior is mm -hmm. what is this background information that we have and and can we ever actually genuinely have a true prior and some people say no because you might not have any information but that's the great bit because then you can go and find out what the prior is you have to be absolutely open about what you're putting in there. And I think the really big debate comes around whether people are, are they happy with uncertainty? Are they happy for you to not give an exact answer? If you go and you say, well, if this is the prior, if this is what we think the information is as well, then we combine these odds, we combine these priors, and, and this is the answer. But let's have a debate. Let's start that talk about what we can have, because it's simplest you've got two things that you're timing together just two numbers for something that runs your mobile phone i mean that's quite nifty mm -hmm. so, so so can we can we remind our listeners what basis theorem actually says okay so basis theorem takes two things it takes um the initial odds or the the prior distribution okay and that's the bit where the argument is and that might be just What's the chance of something happening? What's the what do you think the, the, the probabilities of something happening? And then you combine that with something called a likelihood ratio. And at its real simplest, a, a likelihood ratio is just a ratio of the probability of the information of the evidence you have, assuming one hypothesis, divided by the probability of that information, assuming another hypothesis. Mm -hmm. So you just have to have those two values, and I say you just have to have because that's the tricky bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then all you have to do is time them together. Um, and, and that really is it. And when you start to say to people, it's just two numbers. Now, you can turn that into three numbers if you want. You can turn the likelihood ratio into, it, into its two separate parts. Mm -hmm. And um, you, can, you can show Bayes' theorem very, very simply with decision trees. And that was part of the reason I, I used decision trees in, in a math off, was just to show the power of something that is really quite simple, but can drive so, so far. And, and that's what I love about Bayesian. I always describe it as something that is stunningly elegant, but unbelievably powerful. Mm -hmm. And I always liken it to Audrey Hepburn. I think if it could be a person, it would be Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> <laughs> Quite small, 
yeah, yeah. And, and that's 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 it it's it's this amazing little thing that has two simple numbers but goodness me getting those numbers well i mean you can just have so much fun just <laughs> you, i think you can and, and maybe it's just me that likes finding the patterns in the numbers and and finding those distributions but coming up with a price so come on kevin you said that um you sat there and, and your class said well, what's the prior? Yeah. So what do you say? How do you tell people to go about finding a prior? Are uh, they going to use their subjective opinion? Are they going to try and, and find it from data? Well, that that is the question, isn't it, right? So, I mean, often the, the problem with probability sometimes is that, you know, uh, at least like in political forecasting, right? People tend to round up probabilities to one or, or yeah. lop them off to zero, right? So, for mm -hmm. example, when, you know, when Trump won the election in 2016, everybody thought it was a huge shock. But, you know... 538 had it as, you know, Hillary Clinton was a two-to-one favorite, but two-to-one favorites lose all the time, right? Yeah. yeah. And and so the question then is, yeah, what, be, people like to think about one-off events. And then the question is, how do you estimate the probability of a one-time event? And you have, you, have to, you have to make some guess, right, at, at, at the prior. And that's, I think that's the, I think that's where people get suspicious of Bayes' theorem because it's, or, or Bayesian statistics, because how do you make this estimate? So, so how do how do you make estimates in your daily work as a consultant? Okay, so we we do it in in a variety of different ways. And if we're really lucky, really lucky, there's some historical data we can go looking at. Sure. And often just mining that historical data gives you a, a good starting point. Mm -hmm. I always get slightly suspicious with flat distributions mm. because if we really really don't know anything other than that then I think maybe a bit of research before we define the prior is always a, a good a good thing. And my favourite priors are when we go and talk to people and start to get them out from subjective opinion. Because I like statistics. I genuinely love statistics because of the debate that goes on around it. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that people forget about math is that it's such a living subject. Mm -hmm. And there are so many brilliant debates and you can call some of them arguments. Um, but the fact that people are prepared to go and say, look, this is my opinion and this is what I think the shape is. Mm -hmm. And then we can do the analysis. And inevitably, somebody will stand up and go, well, that bit's wrong. OK, so tell me why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what evidence have you got for us to change this shape? Or why do you think it should be skewed or crassled or, or whatever we're using? And sometimes... If we haven't got time to do that, we can start to put in set distributions. We can say, well, we think it's about normal or we think on average it'll be shoved a little bit to the right or shoved mm -hmm. a little bit to the left. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the three main ways we go about doing it. And I think the ability to be absolutely open and upfront about what you know mm -hmm. and what you don't know helps you define that prior. And I don't really understand why people would be scared of running away from that um why we would not want to say what the uncertainty is or what you're not sure about but that might that might go back a long way when people think that math is certain yeah that when you say the answer's 12 well it's 12 and not well it's 12 because we kind of don't like this and, and actually if something changes that that number might change and i think getting uncomfortable with uncertainty and being uncomfortable is, is really at the crux of developing those priors. Yeah, well, I guess for me, it's it's hard to reason about statistics in a non-frequentist way, meaning, not, you know, I'm comfortable with 
non-frequent statistics I mean, to a yeah. certain degree, but just like what, as, as you were saying, like what does a 30% chance mean if it's not that we could do this 10 times and have it happen three times, but you can't have a presidential election, the same election 10 times, or you can't run Monday's weather 10 times um, or <laughs> right <laughs> something like that. Like there so, it, but it's just hard for me to interpret what does it mean if there isn't a frequentist interpretation. Yeah, and I think one of the things we we found that works really well is is if you start showing patterns, and that's why I always talk about that that we find patterns because when you're doing Bayesian stats and the prize, if you start to show the changes as curves, and I don't mean it's a distribution, but I mean just as that rising and falling of the numbers, mm -hmm. and people start to understand what's driving the priors, what assumptions are changing those priors. And then they start to see the impact of that, of how the final answer changes. Mm -hmm. That can be incredibly powerful. Often people don't want that set answer. They want to know what the range is. They want to understand how that changes. Mm -hmm. And showing that impact as a shape, because I think most people are visual. When you show somebody a, a surface or, a, you know, a graph or a, whatever it is, that's something they can really get gripped with. And actually, I come from a, a Bayesian belief network. So I kind of found out about Bayes theorem by chance. Mm. I, I, I never set off. I never set off to, to love Bayes theorem. Um, I set off to design gas turbine blades. That's what I grew up wanting to do. Um, <laughs> ended up working on Bayesian networks. That was the short version of what happened. <laughs> so, uh, how was was this a love at first sight theorem, or how how was what was your initial encounter with this theorem, and how did you feel about it? Since this is all about subjective uh, feelings, anyway. <laughs> hey, it was. Oh, I spent I, my PhD was part time. I spent eight years collecting subjective opinion, so I can, <laughs> I can give the whole subjective opinion. Um, so I I started a PhD in Bayesian networks and. They're just this brilliant representation of a great big probability table. And this is a, a while ago now, and it's uh, moved on a lot into sort of causal graphs. But I got this basic network, and my supervisor said, here we go. And I went, oh, it's just kind of lots of ovals connected with arrows. And I thought, mm, there must be something more to this. And he went, oh, there's a single base theorem that underpins it, and look at how it flows, and it's how the information appears. And I OK. And so, as with the start of all PhDs, you get this pile of reading, which is apparently going to be really, really good for you. <laughs> so I got my pile of reading. And I went, okay. And, and generally, I just thought, well, yeah, this is just kind of how we all work, isn't it? And um, I really had not liked statistics at university at all, um, because I'd only really done frequency statistics. And it's not like dislike frequency statistics. It just, I just didn't really fall in love with it. But when there was something that I could see, and I genuinely think it's because it's visual, I see the shapes move, I could see the numbers flow, I could see the information flow. I thought, oh, this is cool stuff. I, I understand this, I can get my head around this, and I can start to see how to put things in and how they change. And I think also I've got, at times, a very short attention span. So <laughs> running millions of replicates never really did it for me yeah <laughs> so I had a bit of an issue with frequentists but we just have to run lots and lots and lots and lots of replicates like, okay right can we not just assume it's kind of like this shape and see what happens and then change that shape oh look that's great I like that that's much better for me 
Yeah, so it was kind of a conversion experience there. I think, I'm going to say for people my age, uh, probably, because I don't think Bayesian statistics years ago was taught that commonly. It's only really in the past sort of maybe decade that I think it's become really mainstream and and being taught in the way it is now, certainly with its, um, its rise of applications. That's when I think people started to go, something that they've never heard of is now all in the in the AI um, world and it's in your mobile phone and it's in your medicine and it's in your spam filters. And <laughs> uh, when it suddenly becomes really popular and people start to see what it can do, that's when it's taught more. And then you get all these other debates. All right. So the other fun thing we like to do on this podcast is ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. So, so what pairs well with Bayes' theorem? So uh, this caused a lot of debate in our household. It always does. Yeah, and I am going to pair Bayes' theorem with uh, my favourite food, which is risotto. Mm. Because risotto only takes three things. It only needs rice and onions and a good stock. Yes. And Bayes' theorem is classically taught with three numbers and is really powerful and gorgeous. And risotto takes three ingredients and is really gorgeous. Uh, and, and also, the, the outcome is uncertain sometimes, right? Oh, you're frequently uncertain. <laughs> uh, and if if you change those uh, prior proportions, you will get a very different outcome. That's right. You, uh, might, you yes. might you might get soup, or you it might it might burn. Yeah. yeah, it is. So so I am going to say that Bayes theorem is like a risotto. And you mentioned uh, Audrey Hepburn earlier, so maybe it's yeah. even more like sharing sharing a risotto with Audrey Hepburn. <gasps> That would be brilliant. How cool would that be? Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I will have that. I will have my my base theorem discussion with Audrey Hepburn over risotto. That that would be a pretty good day. Yeah, you could probably get a cardboard cutout, just like sure. invite her to dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll do that. I'll I'll try and set that. We'll, we'll get a photo. We'll sort of superimpose them. So yeah, but Audrey Hepburn should be breakfast somewhere, right? Is this? You can eat risotto for breakfast. Right? Uh, Yeah, you can eat risotto any time of the day. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) There's never a bad time for risotto. No, there isn't. There isn't, yeah. Uh, My wife actually doesn't like risotto very much, so I I, I, I never make it. So is that one of your restaurant foods? So we have this whole, like, foods that you you Mm. tend to order at a restaurant because your partner doesn't like them, and so it's, like, something that you can... Like, I don't really like mushrooms, so my partner often we'll order a mushroom thing at a restaurant. So, so, so yeah, so for that. me, I don't go out for Italian food because I can make it at home. Oh, okay. So that, that I just have a generic, I don't, I don't eat Italian out. There's kind of no point, I think. So, <laughs> so you're right that, sorry, risotto is my, is my restaurant food because my husband doesn't like it. Oh. Oh. It's my most favorite thing in the world. So yeah, every time we go out, the kids go, mom, just don't get the uh, the menu there's no point we know yeah (laughs) (laughs) so you said this caused debate uh did he have a different opinion about what your pairing should be well there were discussions about whether it whether it was my favorite drink with like a bag of crisps and whether you know what things could we combine together Mm -hmm. and i just said no it it just has to be a risotto Mm. okay excellent yeah, we do make that at home. And actually, the funny thing is I don't really like mushrooms, but I do like the mushroom risotto that we make. Mm. Um, so, oh. yeah. So you've not got a flat pry. You've actually got a little bit of a little bit of a skewed one. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> let's. I, I'm trying to figure out how to quantify this. Yeah, like my prior distribution for, for mushroom 
preference is going to, to depend on whether it is cooked with arborio rice or not. So you see, there we go. And now you don't have to worry about like numbers, just draw a shape. Yeah. <laughs> right. Nice. Cool. Uh, so we also like to give our guests a chance to, to plug anything they want to plug. Are you, are you, you have things out there in the world that you want people to know about? Um, so the only thing I think that's worth mentioning is there's a, um, I do something called Ron Institution Maths Masterclasses where we go out and we take our favourite bit of maths and we go and take it to students who are between the ages of about uh, 14 to 17. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really what I'm doing in the in coming up in the in the near future. And they are a brilliant way for lots of people to engage with maths. Oh, oh that's, nice. That's very cool. Yeah, they are. They're, they're really good fun. Have you, have you been doing that for very long? Uh, I've been doing them for about two years now. Mm -hmm. And um, the first one I ever did was on Bayes Theorem. And mm -hmm. I'd never been so, so terrified because I don't teach. And then you have this room full of students and they come up with just the best and most fantastic questions mm -hmm. every time you do it. You go, I hadn't thought of that. Yep. And I don't know how to answer that question straight away. So it's brilliant. And I, I love doing them. And so that's kind of what we've got coming up with that. And um, work is just going to be keeping me nicely busy. Good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, this has been great fun, um, and, and really thank you for joining us. Congrat congratulations on being the world's most interesting mathematician for this year. Yes. Yeah, thank thanks you. a lot. Oh, no, I've, I've been so excited to do this. I've been listening to your podcast for quite a long time, and I couldn't believe it when you emailed me. Thank you very okay, thanks. much. Okay, thanks. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Brown. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M, that's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.